So it's a real mix. We have 30 to 40 nationalities in our congregation every Sunday in one of our two services. That particular Sunday was especially big. Um, right now we'll have 450, 500 people attend that Sunday. We had over seven, 700 because of uh, this group right here. Now you can go to that final picture. The group with us right there. There we are. That's a master creed. They're, they're local group. They're from the Caribbean, most of them originally. They're like a lot of Costa Ricans, not all, but a lot of Costa Ricans in that they uh, are bilingual, fully bilingual. So they do concerts and worship in both languages, in English and Spanish. And so we invited them as we ended up our uh, uh, kind of campaign that we had. And it was a great time there. Fantastic. I've told them. I need to get them to the United States to sing their real blessing. And so we were able to meet with them. Great group of guys, and we've known them for a lot of years. So that's just briefly about our ministry. Now, as I mentioned to John about my coming and the reason that we're in Houston right now, besides continuing to get, our know, get to know our granddaughter and spend time with our family, is that I'm currently in a doctoral program. And uh, so I am working on my dissertation. So we're here about three and a half weeks, and uh, it's a lot of work, uh, I can assure you. But we're able to be at uh, Houston Baptist University, and I'm able to do my writing there and research. So if you think to pray for us, please pray for our ministry and pray that I would keep getting my work done on my dissertation. So about a year and a half is my goal to graduate, and so that is a why we're here right now and uh, able to be able to to speak. And so I mentioned to John that I'd be coming and he said, well, would you be okay if I assigned you a passage and uh, we're going to be in a series? And I said, no, that'd be fine. And uh, fortunately, it's something I'm very closely related with. And that is the series that you're in right now and that you shouldn't forget because both of your pastors have the t-shirts. The series is Send Me. And it's about how God calls every one of us to go. And I want us to consider that today. And they even assigned me with a passage, and it is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to go to that passage. What I'd like to do today is to spend some time looking at a passage that may be familiar to many of you. And then I want to talk about what I'm calling some opportunities or obstacles that are before us. And then I finally want to think about how we can apply what I've shared as we go into the world that God has called us. Now, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, that part of the passage is known as the Great Commission. A lot of you are familiar with that. Some people say that in today's world, it ought to be called the great omission because a lot of churches are not doing it. A lot of individuals are not doing it. And as God would work it out, it happens that in my doctoral work this last week, I was dealing with something called the biblical foundations for international English-speaking ministries. So I spent some time working through this passage once again. So I have a lot of information to give you. I'm not going to give you everything. I'm just going to give you a little bit. And what I want to do is I want to read one verse at a time and make some comments. So hopefully you have found Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, and it should come up on the screen. Let me set it up. I think most of you know this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made multiple appearances to his disciples and to others. And now he is calling them up to a mountain 
an unknown mountain. We don't know where exactly this was. There's been speculation as to where it could have been. He's calling them there, and these are his final words. You know, when somebody gives you their final words, you better take notice. And you've probably read about stories when someone gave their final words before they passed on. As I was thinking about this, I thought that sometimes people give their final words after they passed. They had them put on their tombstones. For instance, I read about a, a Mel Blonde. Anybody remember that name? He was the voice behind various cartoon characters like Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig. And supposedly on his tombstone, he had these words uh, after he had passed away. That, 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 that's all, folks. That's what he included. I heard about someone else who wanted to have on their tombstone these words, I told you I was sick. Okay, I told you. So the last words. Well, Jesus is giving his last words, so he brings his disciples here. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. As I've already mentioned, we don't know the exact location. There are now eleven disciples, not twelve, because Judas has, has committed suicide. He's out of the picture. And so they gather there. Notice verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. As I was working through this passage, that came with great impact once again. And I think somebody may need to understand this, that it is possible to worship the Lord when you have some doubts. It's possible to worship God when you're struggling and when you're wondering what in the world is going on. This passage says these disciples came. They still weren't certain about all that had taken place. They knew this was the Lord. They knew this was Jesus. They worshiped him. But some of them still had their doubts. They still struggled. It is possible to worship the Lord and have some doubts. And then we come to the section called the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Jesus is saying, All authority has been given to him. Who gave it to him? God. God gave him this authority that's all-encompassing. And don't miss this. Now Jesus is saying, all this authority that has been given to me by my heavenly Father, I am transferring to you. There is a transference of authority. Jesus is saying, all who will follow me, all who will believe me, all who receive the Holy Spirit, and he talks about that coming in Acts, all who receive the Holy Spirit at the point that they experience salvation, all authority is now transferred to you. If you've ever wondered on what authority we go, we go on God's authority as it was transferred to his son and now is transferred to us. One of the writers in my doctoral studies I was introduced to was a British writer named Leslie Newbigin, which is a kind of funny name to hear, and a very interesting. And he had a chapter, and by the way, in this doctoral study, they sign you like 15 books that you have to read in two or three months. So I'm just overwhelmed. You're reading, reading, reading all the time. And I read, and, and he has an interesting chapter, and uh, it simply asks the question, on whose authority? On whose authority? And friends, we need to understand that when we go out and proclaim the gospel, it's not our authority. 
It's the authority that God has transferred to his son, Jesus Christ, who's transferred it to us. And now he says, verse 19, therefore, everybody know when you see therefore, you always ask the question what it's there for. And the reason it's there for is it goes back to what Jesus said. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I'd like to do something that I don't often do, and that is to give you a little bit of lessons in linguistics. Most of you probably know that the Bible was written in primarily two languages, Hebrew and Greek, the New Testament in Greek. Let me give you a disclaimer, and my disclaimer is I'm not very good in languages. We've been in Costa Rica for 15 years. I'm still working on my Spanish Fortunately, I preach in English, so I get along pretty well, and I had to do some of the biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, when I was in seminary, and those were really tough. It wasn't until the third week in Hebrew that I realized that you read from right to left, and I knew I was in trouble. That's a joke, okay? I'm going to say a joke, all right? So I'm not real strong in languages, but I did take Hebrew, I did take Greek, and I spent a little time here, and so the structure is very important. In the Great Commission, there is one imperative, and the imperative is to make disciples. Everybody know what imperative is? That's a command. Everything else around it is what's called participles. In other words, they're continuous action. Now, because of their connection to the make disciples, that means they can be seen as a command, but they're continuous So perhaps a way to translate this would be, as you are going, make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them. There's participles that surround the command. And remember the command, make disciples. One more lesson in languages, not with the biblical languages, but in Spanish. Most of you know that in Spanish, you can identify... What a store sells or makes by the name. So if you see a store and it's advertising it's a carniceria, you know that there's carne, there's meat there. If it's a panaderia, you know you can find good bread there. That's where they make bread. If it's a libreria, that's where you can find books. I've thought about this quite a bit, and I think a name for a local church ought to be a discipleria, a place where disciples are made. And that's what Jesus is saying. Go and make disciples as you are going. Then he talks about baptizing them. That happens at conversion, teaching them. That's a part of discipleship. As you are going, make disciples. And finally, he ends with that promise that as we do this, he will always be with us. Always. And I think perhaps somebody needs to hear that today. That Jesus Christ's promise is that when we trust in him and follow him, he is always with us to the very end of the ages. So there's your breakdown of the Great Commission. Hopefully it has come perhaps a few things new for you. I'd like to now shift and speak about something that I'm calling 
opportunities or obstacles. Opportunities or obstacles. And as I thought about this, I thought about the words that Paul spoke to a church in Corinth. Towards the end of his first letter, he talks about this. He says that he's going to stay somewhere. He says because there's a great door of opportunity that's before him, and there are many who oppose him. You know that almost always when we do the work of God, there's great opportunities before us, and there's also obstacles we're going to have to face. And as I've been thinking about maybe in a broader picture, the world and what God is doing and what's happening in the world, there's about five, maybe seven, some people would say ten Things that have happened in the last 50 years that really influence how we're going to make disciples in our world. Now, I'm not going to give you the list of 10 or 7 or 5. If I were, by the way, one of the ways to remember them is they all end with a shun sound. Most of them do anyway. So, for instance, I could talk about urbanization and I could talk about the growth of information or communication our globalization, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to mention two others that do in with the shun word that are real pertinent to our ministry in Costa Rica, and they have great relevance to you here in Houston, Texas. So let me mention two of these, and by the way, hopefully you take a few notes. Did you know that you increase your receptivity by, some people say about 70% if you write things down? So some of you are going to start writing things down. These are notes you can keep. And let me just mention two major trends that have happened in the world that I think pose for us some great obstacles, but opportunities. First of all is the population explosion. The population explosion. And I don't know if you've ever followed this, but I'll give you some statistics. Hopefully you can follow along. Did you know that in 1950, the world's population was 3 billion people? That's a lot of people. Did you know in 1985, it had nearly doubled to 5 billion? Around the year 2000, the world's population surpassed 6 billion. I have a very vivid memory of this. Because I was pastor of this congregation, it was about 1988, 1999, and I was heading to Guadalajara, Mexico. We were looking to do some work there, and we went on to do some work. Guadalajara, Mexico is a beautiful city, home of the mariachis. Guadalajara, Guadalajara, Guadalajara. Anybody know mariachi music? Okay, there you go. Beautiful city, second largest city in Mexico. And so I was uh, on a plane, and I was reading something that's not too popular nowadays. It's called a newspaper. And uh, so I had a newspaper. I was reading that. And I read an article, and it said sometime that week, the world's population would surpass 6 billion people. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Sometime this week, the 6 billionth baby will be born. And then we got to Guadalajara, a very large city, millions of people. And we ended up in downtown Guadalajara in a major plaza right at rush hour. And there were people everywhere, just packed. And I remember trying to walk around and navigate it. And I thought, sometime this week, the world's population surpasses 6 billion people. And half of them are here right now with me. I've never really forgotten that. 
around 2000, 1999, 6 billion. 2010, 7 billion people. Today, 7.6 billion people inhabit this planet. Now, I want to go ahead and say something at this point, and that is, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, which I do, that God ultimately controls and behind, is behind everything and at least allows certain things to happen. God doesn't cause everything, but he allows certain things to happen. Then God's aware of this. This explosion of population does not come as a surprise to God. And it's going to continue. And we know all the problems it brings to our planet and to our cities and to our areas. We know how much Houston, Texas has grown. The country that we live has grown by a million people since we've been there. So it's going to continue to grow. There are great obstacles that come with this population explosion. But let me just put this out there. Every single person born on this planet needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to know that there's hope, that there's a way of life. And so we must be about the business. As you go, make disciples. And we need more and more people willing to go and make disciples of all nations. I forgot one thing in my Greek lesson, and that was that word nations. The word is ethnos. It means all people groups, all cultural groups, all language groups. It's an all-encompassing world. Go and make disciples of all nations as you go. And let me just say that we can see this population explosion as bringing on problems. It has and it will but we can also see incredible opportunities as Christians. You know, one of the reasons I believe in churches growing, and I do, is because the population is growing. And as long as a lot of people are continuing to be born, the more the churches need to grow and reach out to their communities. Population explosion. Let me mention the second thing that I think is important for you to hear. You might be aware of the population explosion. It's connected, the second uh, thing that I'd like to uh, uh, introduce to you, but you may not be as familiar with it, and it's what I call people migration. People migration. Did you know that we live in an incredible day where people are moving? Sometimes it's simply moving from one place to the other in their own town or city. Sometimes it's moving from one city to another or one state to another, but if you look at it in a global perspective, People are on the move. And I've been doing quite a bit of background for my doctoral study in this. I did come across a very interesting quote by a guy. They're called missiologists. They think about these things. And he said this statement, and I want you to hear it. It's very interesting. He said, migration, talking about immigration, migration, movement of people, migration represents a more significant event in Christian history, more significant even than the Reformation. Are you familiar with the Reformation? Did you guys celebrate it last year with a lot of Christians from around the world? Did you know last year, 2017, was the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation? It's when Martin Luther made that uh, statement when he went to the Wittenberg door and and put his uh, thesis up there. And so many churches around the world celebrated 500 years of Protestant Reformation, and there's a lot of implications there. This writer is saying that the movement of people, people migration, is even more significant, a more significant event than the Reformation. Let me give you just a few more 
interesting statistics on this. At least I find them interesting. I think you will as well. Take, for instance, the fact that since 2010, or let me get my numbers to make sure. Actually, today, there are 244 million people who live in a country where they were not born. 244 million. Now, again, I don't know how your minds think, but if that was a nation, it would be in the top five in nations. 244 million people. Over 700 million migrate within their own countries. Why does this happen? A lot of you know, sometimes it's by uh, design. In our country, we have a lot of people who come to Costa Rica because they want to come. We have people who retire there. We have people who come to start businesses there. And that's happening all around the world. It's by design. We have, of course, people who are called. That's a big part of it, people who are called. Let me just go ahead and say, I won't spend any time here, but uh, a very interesting study, if you ever want to do one, a Bible study, is to actually look and see who migrated in the Bible. Abraham. Joseph. Abraham was by the call of God. Joseph was by force. The Apostle Paul. Jesus, when he was young. All of them had times in their life where they were immigrants, where they migrated. This is going on at an unprecedented rate. And so you'll find pockets of population of people all around the world. And in our context, you'll find lots of English speakers. We work with churches in Europe, and and it's amazing. For instance, there's over 3 million people of Turkish heritage in Germany. In our own country, we have somewhere between, it depends, you know, statistics are interesting. Some people say 100,000. A lot of people say it's more like a million Nicaraguans that live in Costa Rica. And so you have all these interesting things that are going on around the world. And let me just be very clear here. I'm not trying at this point to say anything necessarily on politics or anything because I know it's a hot button right now. I am just saying this. People are on the move. And when people are on the move, they become open to ideas and to messages that they might not usually be open to. And if churches are aware that people are moving, whether it's a young couple moving into a new community or whether it's a migrant moving into a new country, then there is great openness to the gospel. And we've seen this. Costa Rica has a very, very minimal Muslim population. But in our church, I've had the privilege of baptizing two people who came out of Islam. They weren't from Costa Rica. They were from African nations. They had already began to consider the faith. Then they came to Costa Rica as students, and they began to consider the faith even more seriously, and they decided while they were in Costa Rica, they wanted to be baptized. We had a young lady come from Vietnam. She started to investigate our faith, started to attend our church, started to attend Bible studies, became interested in Christianity. She was from a Buddhist background. She went on and got a a scholarship to go to a school in the Northeast, and by God's grace and God's uh, activity, she ended up meeting a group of Christians in that university, and I heard about a year or two later that she had also become a Christian and follower of Christ. Years ago, we had a guy come to our church, as a lot of people do, because we spoke English, and his Spanish wasn't good. He's a typical New Yorker from Long Island, grew up in a Jewish family, Got connected to our church. 
started to consider the claims of Christ, became a Christian, and today he's our chairman of our deacons. People migrate, and when they migrate, they are often open to the gospel in a way that they would never be. So those are two trends that I want you to be aware of, the population explosion, the migration of people. And now I want to give you what I call some applications as you go, some applications. And I'm going to move through these very quick and end up with a story that I hope will illustrate all of this. So in conclusion, by the way, you know what it means when a pastor or preacher says in conclusion? Absolutely nothing, okay? But... I am moving towards conclusion, so I'll try to do that. Here's what I want you to be aware of. As you go to make disciples, and let me, let me just say something. Hopefully, you know that you have to be a disciple to make a disciple. You have to have already understood who God is and his grace that's been bestowed upon us and made that decision and trusted in him. So you've got to do that first. You've got to confess that publicly. Baptism isn't a part of our salvation, but it's a public declaration of our, of our salvation. So as you've received the gospel, as you've received the authority that Jesus is transferring to us, as you go, here's what you can be a part of. Three things that I'd encourage you to consider today. First of all, you can be a part of God's work in the world through informed prayer, informed prayer. Now, missionaries have a reputation of coming and always saying, what can you do? You can pray. And I'm one of those missionaries. You can pray, but I want to say informed prayer. In other words, you keep your eyes open to what's going on around the world. You, you look at things, and, and you're informed in your prayer. Let me just encourage you. Some of you may once in a while pray for other countries or pray, pray for missionaries, and it may be this kind of uh, general prayer, God bless our missionaries. Our God bless that country. Can I encourage you to be a lot more specific than that? Could I encourage you to put the names of people serving in difficult places or to put a specific country or a city and then to be very specific in how you pray and to, to read the news and to look at all that's coming in, to look at it, and this is the second point, through the what I call spiritual eyesight. Spiritual eyesight. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in our week and our day, and we just get uh, caught up in all that we have to do that we forget that God is always active around us. And we need to see the world through the spiritual eyes God has. There's a song we used to sing. We used to sing it here. You may have done it before. Open the eyes of my heart, God. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. It's a great song. It's talking about wanting to see God in a new way. But when we see God in a new way, then we can get that spiritual eyesight and we can begin to see the world in a different way. So I'd say inform prayer. Spiritual vision, our eyesight. And the last application for all of us is what I would call strategic living. Strategic living. We ought to all live our lives, no matter what your occupation or vocation is, we all live our lives with the end goal being to expand God's kingdom. And it doesn't matter whether you're a business person, an educator, whatever it is, if you start to live your life strategically, always asking the question, how can God use my life and what I'm doing strategically? It's amazing that'll happen. Now, if you put those three, three together, let me just tell you, it can be very powerful. 
It can be very powerful. And so let me end with this story. And let me preface it by saying, I don't always do what I'm sharing with you. I don't always do it well. I'm still working on this. My prayers aren't always as informed as they ought to be. And I'm not always going through my day looking with spiritual eyes. I'm a lot of times just looking with my own eyes. And I don't always live strategically. But every once in a while, things kind of come together. About 11 years ago, I was reading some information. And I saw that a new international school was being opened in the we live in a suburb of the capital. We lived in a place called Santana. We've moved since then. But I saw that this English-speaking international school was going to start. And I remember that was interesting. They said students would be coming from all, of the, all over the world, and they would be studying there. And I thought, wow, that's neat. That's going to be close by, I think. It's going to be in our town. And so I remember just thinking, I need to keep aware about that. And then a few days later, I was... Uh, out on one of my runs, I still try to run and walk, and I use that time for prayer. And I was pretty close to the house, and I saw a campus that had been abandoned, and I saw it had a new sign. And so I walked down and looked, and I noticed it said United World College, and I remembered that was the school that they had talked about, that that article had talked about. And I remember thinking, wow, that's incredible. It's going to be really close to our house. And I remember just kind of saying, man, it would be awesome. And I think I just hopefully offered up a prayer. God, it would be great if we could be involved in some of these young people's lives. And then about the same time, we were in need of a new vehicle. And uh, we try to pray about every major decision. So we've been praying about that. And we thought, you know, a nice compact car would probably be great we're a family of three and that would be great and we had a family really wonderful family they had been living in the country for a few years they're about to live and they had a uh, 12 passenger van and he found out I was looking for a vehicle and he said well I've got this van and he was very generous he said "Uh, what's your budget and I told him and he said yeah I think I can sell you that van for that amount and I thought to myself what are we going to do with a van in fact, one of the things I had to do was make sure it fit in our garage. You know, I tested it out to, to see because it barely fit in our garage. And I remember thinking, I don't know, you know, three of us driving around in a 12-passenger van. I mean, that's kind of strange. But we thought about it. We prayed about it. And I said, okay, you know, we do end up taking some people different places. So we'll just, uh, I think maybe God has opened this door. Now, once you see how all this comes together, right? I'd heard about this school. Started praying about how we might be there. We got the van. A few day, a few weeks later, in our service, there was a family. We have guests all the time. I hadn't seen them before, and so I, I went up and introduced myself, and they were a family from the Cayman Islands. And uh, they said, oh, we are so happy to find this church. We've been praying that our son, and they introduced me to their son. I won't forget his name. His name was Paul. And they said, our son is starting United World College, and we were praying for an English-speaking church for him, and we found you guys, and we're so glad, and, uh, and our son, he's going to be attending your church, and he's going to invite his friends. Of course, I kind of looked over the son, and I thought, I don't know. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. We'll see. So anyway, we got to know them briefly, and then they left, and I connected with the son, Paul, and I said, okay, Paul, if you want to, I said, we actually have a van. And uh, I said, now we get to, we go early to church, so I don't know if you want to do this, and I don't know if any of your friends, but if you want to, I said, we'll leave at, uh, I think it was 7.45 or 8, from our house, and we're just a few blocks over. 
And uh, you can invite your friends. I said, you can invite up to like 10 of them. And, uh, and he said, I will. And I said, okay. And Sunday morning came, about 7.30, 7.45. The timbre, the, what do you call that in English? I guess the doorbell uh, rings. And uh, I look out, and there's about 10 students outside my door. And I welcome them. It was Dapo from Nigeria, Stacy from Jamaica, Vladimir from the Ukraine, young lady from the Philippines, and another young man from Africa. And they said, we're here to come to church. And I said, I've got room for you. <laughs> and for the next two years, that group of students, most of them, would meet at our church early on Sunday mornings, get in our van, take them to church. Several of them got real involved. One of them was our media person. Several of them taught our Sunday school classes. I knew they were bright kids. And then after two years, they started to tell me about, tell me about where they were going to go to college. One went to Harvard. One went to Cornell. One promises he'll one day be the president of Zimbabwe, which is now possible that, well, if you know anything about Zimbabwe history, but I'll, all of these young people in our church that God had opened the door. And I thought about that and I said, isn't it great how God puts those things together? Pray about something. Stay informed. Keep our eyes open. And then we live strategically. One other thing I need to say, let me just challenge you with, any major pur purchase you make in your life, you need to ask this question, will I use it for the kingdom? Will I use it for the kingdom? Am I willing to loan it? Am I willing it to be for it to be used? And I heard one of my favorite pastors, he said, never buy anything unless you're willing to, to uh, let it be used by God. That's a principle we have. And so whatever you have, as you live strategically, God will help you. As you go, make disciples. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Father, I... Um, Ask today that you would help us to just have our hearts turned towards you. You would help us to um, hear your voice. I know that in my message I shared a lot of information, but I pray more than that people heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I don't know what you would do in the lives of those who are here this morning. But I pray that for each person, regardless of where they are, they would be willing to say, well, to repeat what uh, Isaiah said long ago, here I am, Lord, send me. And if it means just being more strategic and where they are, Father, I pray that would be the case. Father, perhaps some you would call to serve in another part of the country or another part of the world. And I pray for openness there.
for all of us, I pray we'd do our part in, in praying and we would stay informed about your activity in our world. And I pray that we would all go through our day with this spiritual eyesight, saying, God, what, what are you doing in our world? Father, I pray you would help us to live lives that always ask the question, can this help the kingdom of God? Can I be about the kingdom of God in what I'm doing and how I'm doing it? So, Lord, right now we just want to commit our lives and offer ourselves to you. Help us to make any decisions that need to be made. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who was sent and the one who sins. In Jesus' name, amen.